Welcome to Conversations with Leaders. I'm Jake Burns, an enterprise strategist for AWS. Today I'm talking with AWS digital innovation leader, Thomas Blood, and fellow enterprise strategist, Jonathan Allen, about their new book, Reaching Cloud Velocity, A Leader's Guide to Success in the AWS Cloud. It was great to learn more about them, the reason why they wrote the book, and hearing a little bit more about what to expect from it. Jonathan, Thomas, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Jake. I'm so excited to have you guys on for this. Uh, I've been really looking forward to this one. So your new book, Reaching Cloud Velocity, A Leader's Guide to Success in the AWS Cloud. You know, this was, in my opinion, such a uh, a badly needed resource for us to give to customers. And the way I look at it, and correct me if I'm if I'm way off base, but to me, it seems like kind of a how-to manual for CIOs uh, on how to do a cloud transformation. Am I anywhere close to what the intent was for this? Totally on the money. The how was one of the primary tenets for the book. Like just, you know, we're going through, you know, I've been in AWS since May 2017 and you know, Thomas and I have done a lot of, of customer engagements in that time. And consistently leaders are looking for the lessons learned and the how. That's what they want to get to. They've moved way beyond the why of AWS cloud. And now it's all about the how and they want to get to the prescriptive lessons learned. You know, and it's also something about in our conversations with with these customers, uh, they realize very quickly that it's less about technology and more about all the other stuff around it. People in particular, so this is leadership leadership stuff, right? So we we have lots of conversations about what's the interplay between the technology piece, the operating model, and the people, and, and that's the piece that frankly has been missing in the conversations. Yeah, you know, and in, in reading this, one one thing that kind of struck me was just how comprehensive it is. If you were to dive deep in each one of these subjects, it would be an encyclopedia. Um, and so perhaps there's opportunities for uh, for future work here. But to me, it seems like you kind of covered all the bases. Is, is Was that kind of the intention? We started out with a mind map. You know, we, we spent a whole, I don't know, a whole day, Jonathan, in a room just drawing a mind map together and thinking of all the things that we had wanted to know when we were on this journey and didn't. And it became quite massive. And then the hard part became... Mm calling it back and kind of pulling out the things that are really important and all the other stuff that's also important, but not important enough to be in a book. We had to throw away essentially. Yeah. The one thing that we, you know, we didn't throw away though, that we actually wrote right at the start, Jake, was in the preface, we were, you know, Thomas and I, and, and most Amazonians are pretty, um, you know, focused on tenets. And, you know, we wrote 10 of these right at the start. And every time that we were looking at, should we cut this? Should we make it? You know, we went straight back to those tenants and held ourselves to them. And time and time and time again, you know, we really leveraged them to guide us. And actually, we, do you remember, Thomas, we, we actually put those together right at the start, didn't we? We did. And we actually mailed them pretty quickly. And, you know, a, a, a well-constructed tenant actually takes a long time to put together. But, you know, we wanted it. We wanted prescriptive guidance. We wanted to share what works. Um, we wanted to share what doesn't work, you know, referenceable, um, enterprise leader focus, wanted to be concise. You know, personally, I get really like a little bit ugh, when a book is too big. You know, if I can't hold this or put it in my laptop bag, you know, I'm going to struggle. Um, we wanted it to be human centric, not a textbook. The only constant is change. And of course, you know, we're Amazonians, so we're going to, it's going to be a little bit peculiar as course, of course. Well, and we, we deliberately decided to be a little bit snarky in our comments and how we wrote, right? We didn't want this to be a marketing book. We wanted to just come talk the way we normally talk. But I will point out that one of the tenets we missed mm -hmm. because we said we we're going to write less than 320 pages. And I think we clocked in at what, 341 or 342. So we didn't hit that one. Yeah. Despite our best efforts, right? Exactly. Hmm. Yeah. 
I don't know. I, it feels like, and, and I know I keep just saying positive things here, but it seems like the perfect length to me. You know, it's uh, in other books that I've read uh, that, that are kind of on uh, technical books like this, you know, it's, it feels about right. You know, like I have a library full of these kinds of books and it's, it's, it's not too long in my opinion. Thank you for that. The perspective was probably one of the things we had to really nail on Jake. So it's like when you're writing this book, you know, even though it, you know it's, it's obviously got the AWS logo on it, are we writing as AWS or are we writing as practitioners or are we writing, you know, what's the present tense we're writing in? And and eventually we, we came back to actually this is us as the authors writing here and going through our own experiences. And, you know, when we were customers, when we've been at AWS, how have we felt in situations and how do we know how leaders are feeling. You know, one of the things I come up against, just to give you an example of this is, you know, many times I've been in EBCs, executive briefings with customers, and one of the key stakeholders hasn't been able to there be there because they've got a critical incident to deal with. Right. And, you know, that comes first. Now, you know, Thomas and I have both been in that boat as leaders when we've had an incident occur. We know you get that adrenaline rush with it, and we know that that rightly takes the focus. And I think writing the entire book with that paradigm, you know, with that empathy was what we wanted to achieve. Yeah, definitely. Um, we've, we've all been in that situation in those EBCs and, and also as customers, right? So uh, let's, uh, let's take a moment because I don't think we've, we've properly done this on the podcast yet and kind of talk a little bit about your backgrounds and kind of what qualifies you for writing a book like this. Jonathan, you want to go first? Sure. Um, so, you know, as I said previously, I, I joined back in uh, March 2017. So I've been here, you know, well over three years now. In that time, um, I probably met with about 415 customers, um, most of them FSIs and worked with them, you know, in, in the executive engagements, had a lot of fun, you know, traveled a lot as a consequence of that. But before then, uh, I actually was in Capital One for 17 years, initially as a software developer, working all the way through to a senior director and, and divisional CTO, helping, you know, lead part of that division's first three years journey into using AWS. Uh, and I learned a lot of lessons as that as that journey, uh, not just leading AWS, but actually working in an enterprise that's as forward and leading as Capital One in that regard. Um, so, I, you know, I learned a lot. It was a great place to work. Yeah. And I've, I've been with AWS for uh, almost four years, <clears throat> as a, also as an enterprise strategist. Now I lead the digital innovation team for Europe, Middle East, and Africa. But before that, I spent 20 plus years in a variety of roles in the, the public sector, uh, government, uh, I ran a, a data center for the U.S. Navy at a research institute, which was a lot of fun, but also really hard. Uh, I've done two startups, both of which failed, but hey, <laughs> I learned a lot. Uh, and I've, I've worked in, um, in corporations as well, both always in the interface between business and IT. Uh, and then, you know, the last... Uh, Three years before coming to AWS, I did the same thing. I led a transformation of Experian consumer services into the cloud, which is where I learned all the hard lessons, or many of them, not all of them. Let's be honest, Thomas, the, the greatest label you had was being a sergeant in the US military, where you were actually Sergeant Blood. That That is the best title of all. <laughs> That's actually how I got into IT, which is kind of funny. I, <laughs> I found myself uh, in a US Army base and was put in front of a computer, and I had no idea what the thing was because it was based on Linux. <laughs> never never seen Linux before. They gave me a cheat sheet and says, here, figure it out. And uh, ever since, I've been doing IT. Nice. Yeah, so so this is interesting because qualification-wise, I mean, both of you have led transformations for major enterprises that were successful uh, using AWS. And then as AWS enterprise strategists, you have advised hundreds of um, other 
you know, senior executives, CIOs, CTOs, and others from major enterprises. So interesting thing about this role is, is that you have that real deep kind of firsthand experience, but also this kind of wide secondhand experience. And then of course, along with working for AWS, like that experience from the vendor side, I think it's an extremely unique perspective to have, to have that kind of real 360 degree bird's eye view of the situation. Do you feel that really prepared you to write this book? Because I feel like when I read it, 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 it really resonates with me and my experience. I think it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a hugely privileged perspective. And the thing that we get through, you know, just touching on what, what customers talk to us about for a moment, you know, way back in, in the start of my journey, you know, it would have been easy for me when I had a load of burning questions to look at engaging one of the classic consultancies and, and, and you know, spend a bunch of money. But I actually had the privilege of meeting Stephen Orban, who was the original founder of the enterprise strategy team and it was the CIO of the Dow Jones. And I had a great conversation with Stephen and just asking him, so what happened? So how did you? Questions. And, you know, in 120 minutes of that conversation with him that I actually spoke to him at one of the London summits, I got so much out of that engagement um, that I was kind of like bursting to, 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 you know, to move forward. And I think having the responsibility of doing that now around the world is, is incredible. You learn a lot, uh, you know, symbiotically from the customer and you're able to share your own experience. And, and it's, a, it's a real privilege. Yeah. And, and the, the kinds of questions we, we hear tend to be similar across large enterprises, across industries, across verticals, you know, they're, they're not that different. Right. And those questions are actually what then informed how we went about writing the book. Because he wanted to answer those questions in a way that somebody who doesn't have a chance to talk to any of, any of us of the enterprise strategy team, for instance, uh, can just go into the book. They don't have to read the whole thing. They can just go to that place and read that chapter and get what they need. You know, I call it poaching a book, right? You go in, you take what you need and get out. <laughs> and then we hope they come back and read the rest of the book. Right. But the idea is let's, let's help with whatever the situation is at the moment. Yeah. And that was one of our strong tenants was this is not war and peace. You don't have to read the whole book to get context. You want to, if you want to go in and just read about being, becoming cloud fluent at scale, go for it, right? Go in there. There's 12, you know, there's 12 action steps you can take as a leader to, you know, to move the needle. You don't have to go and read the future of enterprise IT chapter before you do that. Right. Yeah. And, and one of our colleagues already wrote the sequel to war and peace. So that's already been covered. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Mark Schwartz. Go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I interviewed him on a on a, a previous episode, so if you want to hear about that, definitely check it out. So, so kind of diving into some of the content here, but let's start with um chapter part 2, chapter 3, mapping your way through. You talk a bit about uh build versus buy or build versus not build. Can we explore that a little? Yeah, let me let me share a story that's actually not in the book and probably should be. When I was leading the transformation at Experian Consumer Services, uh, we wound up selecting a, we bought something to handle our subscriptions for one of our products. It was a really nice product. Uh, it, it handled what we needed to, to do. But I had a product manager who was very, very, very opinionated, really smart guy. And I fought him on three different things. So I, I felt like I had to give in on one of them. I gave in on this one and it was a huge mistake because we wound up rebuilding a complete system to manage subscriptions for a, a product. It took us six months. It was supposed to do everything, right? It was sort of the, the Uber system to rule them all. Uh, and in the end, it cost us a lot of time. It didn't actually give us what we wanted. We could have just stayed with what, what we wanted, what we tried and, and should have bought, and it would have solved the problem. Now, the reason we wrote about the, the Wardley mapping is exactly to avoid the situation because Wardley mapping is this great tool by Simon Wardley. And, you know, for all the listeners that, that are unfamiliar with Simon, 
but look him up. He's he's quite a character. He decided that you know if you if you wanted to engage, he talks about military, right? But let's say it's a military campaign. Would you rather use a SWOT analysis, or would you take a map of the terrain and the enemy disposition and plan your course of action? Right? And of course, you wouldn't use a SWOT analysis. You would use an actual map. And so from that, he backed into a methodology to help you take any system or a product or service and then map it out. And when you map, when you map this out, you start with essentially what's the user experience sort of on the upper left-hand corner. And you figure out what are all the components and systems that belong to it. And you map them based on, is this brand new and totally innovative? Or is it something that's available that you kind of custom build, but you've massaged and you understand? Or is it something that's available out of the box or is it actually utility? And if you map things out this way, you discover that there are components of your architecture that you shouldn't be building. You should just buy them, right? And a lot of of those services, turns out, are cloud services that you can get with AWS. That's very, very handy, right? But the value add, the thing that's unique to your business, you need to innovate on. So you start on the innovation. You know what you have to focus on. Don't build the things that someone else can do better than you can. And just focus on the value that you can generate uniquely. And that mapping exercise helps you understand what areas you need to innovate on, which areas can you just go out and purchase, and which areas you want to iterate on to make better in a Six Sigma kind of way. Hmm. That's a great, I love this tool. Check out uh, Simon Wardley. Plus, look at his videos because he's hysterically funny to boot. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so no, that's good. It was great. You know, what I, what I can tell you is, um, you know, building on Thomas's amazing, you know, run through there was that this this topic in particular, especially in the last eight weeks, is coming up more and more and more with CTOs uh, and product managers just wanting a mental model that's going to help them through. Do they build their own software and they're, you know, to satisfy their business logic? Should they leverage, you know, the market? marketplace or software as a service and when should they use you know the building blocks that amazon you know makes available to them the 175 plus building blocks and having a mental model that can help their team through that is just so useful because look we you know we, we come from engineering and developing backgrounds all of us and there's there's a huge propensity just to build right let's just build and it's already a solved problem i saw an amazing twitter article the other day that was estimating that over a million different authentication engines have been built for customer authentication on the planet <laughs> and it was kind of like wow so how, how many times are we going to solve this problem and so that i think this natural propensity that builders are absolutely the right thing to have but a lot but really focusing them in the right way that's where this the gold is right yeah i think you're hitting upon one of the like major lessons of um utilizing cloud which is kind of knowing where to focus your attention that's going to actually help your business. Because, you know, you give an engineer a, a toolbox with, you know, 200 different tools in it um, and they're all shiny and you just say, go. I mean, one of the th- interesting things about a role is that we very quickly uh, see kind of the patterns of success and the anti-patterns, as we call them, of, of success. In other words, what works and what doesn't kind of an aggregate um, over and over again. Uh, with all these customer engagements, I would say one of the bigger ones and one of the kind of major ones is this focusing on what matters to your business, um, offloading the rest, right? Yeah. 
what's going to differentiate? And, and we know we touch on that on the Future of Enterprise IT chapter, um, which is the second chapter in, of part two, because, you know, where are you focusing your efforts? You know, you look at the traditional data center and, you know, a lot of people still have an email, payroll, you know, a, a lot of the things that are SaaS now, they've still got load balances sitting in those data centers. They've still got a lot of traditional storage. All of those things are going to require employees or partners to maintain them. That's an overhead. It's does not differentiate your business really in any way. It's table stakes for what you've got to have. And this ability to always be innovating, you know, and making and helping to guide that right decision on when should we build, when should we use, when should we buy, and having a mental model for leaders to position themselves on is hugely useful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, not only can you go faster by uh, offloading that undifferentiated work, but you also put the you know, the effort that, that really is necessary into those specific things that are going to make the difference and, you know, make your business unique and, and successful. Well, and what's kind of cool about that is that as you go through this process, you're actually uncovering savings, you know, because you're building resiliency in, you're not suffering from your technical debt on systems that are not value adding. Uh, so you can refocus that attention and that energy and that funding, frankly, into innovating for your business to create new value for the for your customers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and by using these kind of standardized reusable components, such as you know uh, cloud services, AWS services, um, you kind of get without really any effort just this kind of economy of scale. You know, the people behind the scenes at AWS, you know, they're constantly working to take customer feedback and incorporate that into their services and make them better, make them more secure, you know, um, cost less, et cetera. Right. And you really have to do nothing to take advantage of that. You just need to adopt the service and you get all of that kind of built in. That's one of those things that's just a compounding benefit uh, in my mind. Yeah, totally. I mean, a great example for that, by the way, which I've dealt with with a number of startups recently, is they, they've started out um, using Apache Cassandra, for example, as their as their data store. And quickly, they've gone. Actually, we've actually got quite a large team now looking after this. It's not part of our core business. It's not that business logic, that data, or that interface to our customer. So, how can you know Amazon help us remove that? And we've seen the launch of you know Amazon Keyspaces, um, you know, to to solve that gap. And that you know, as we continue to invent that. That's the super value for customers. Yep, definitely. So uh, the next chapter in your book is uh, culture and organization. And this is uh, always one of the top two, I would say, topics that come up uh, for us. But I I have a very specific question to ask you about this. And it's about uh, the Cloud Center of Excellence. Why is it called that? And what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so this is always very topical. Uh, it's topical inside of, of Amazon Web Services. It's topical with our customers. It was topical with me when I was at, was at, was a leader. And you know, we have called it creating the cloud center of excellence. This this topic has has definitely resonated with people. It's become very common, you know, nomenclature in in, in the world. But it, it's topical. So let's talk about why is it topical. It's topical because a couple of reasons. One is um, is it excellent? You know, that's that's the you know, is this an expert team? Um, and and of course, you know, we all aspire to have mastery in what we do. But the second element is, does this big team, you know, become a bottleneck? Uh, and actually, we lean in the chapter, you know, we lean into um, some of the truths we've seen, both from our own journeys, but particularly working with customers. Now, you know, in the chapter, we talk specifically that having this this team that is a fulcrum of change is incredibly important, and having the right technical skills in this team that can handle challenges that in effect can almost self-service and bootstrap the organization into AWS is hugely important. But that said, knowing the sort of the four or five lessons learned of what can go wrong in that journey is hugely important. And we go into that in the book. 
The other thing I think that's really worth noting is this Cloud Center of Excellence has a unique mission to namely make itself obsolete, right? And so that's maybe a bit of a hard thing to, to understand, but as we build, as the Cloud Center of Excellence builds uh, templates and services and self-service tools that the rest of the organization can leverage, at some point, hopefully, the rest of the organization can move at pace without the Cloud Center of Excellence. They can become more autonomous. And, you know, in my perfect worldview, uh, the Cloud Center of Excellence eventually just goes away. But that's, you know, it could take years. Yeah. And in fact, we say that the job of the Cloud Center of Excellence is eventually to, in effect, make that team, not the people, redundant for what they're doing as cloud just becomes the new normal. But, you know, sort of looping back and building on Thomas's words, where we've seen this go wrong around the world with customers, um, is, you know, the in the words of, you know, uh, our CTO, Dr. Werner Vogels, thou shalt not use old IT concepts for new applications. So... Being aware that, you know, building in the cloud is, is different. It's better. And and being aware of that is huge. If you're trying to bring your old architecture policies into AWS, that, that can be the first sort of challenge. Um, the second one, as I touched on, is when this team becomes a bottleneck in a big enterprise. If you're relying on this team to try and set the standards for everything that the rest of sometimes the tens, hundreds of other teams are doing, that team's going to become a bottleneck then for cloud usage. Um, and thirdly, you know, if this team tries to boil the ocean, to set the standards on all 175 plus services when you only want to use 16, 18, um, that could take a long time. So there's really a number of you know different things going on here that we go into depth in the book of yes, having this team absolutely makes sense, but really understand how you know how you've got to pivot to really scale. Hmm. Yeah, so I'm glad we're talking about this because there seems to be some confusion out there about you know, Cloud Center of Excellence, CCOE, CEE, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, I think some of it comes from the naming and the different names that people call it, the, maybe that there's different forms like the Cloud Business Office and Leadership Team, et cetera. But I mean, maybe it would be useful to kind of just, uh, I would love to hear your thoughts on what in your mind is the the definition of the mission of a Cloud Center of Excellence? What is What is its function when you kind of get right down to it? Yeah. So we actually put together a terms of reference, Jake. So you've asked a specific question. So, you know, I am going to read from the book now and I get told off for doing this, but you know, look, this team coalesces all applicable technical and business product expertise into one team to bring to the first production cloud native workload or migrated workload to the cloud in the processes it establishes the technical objectives, reusable architecture patterns and associated code for the organization's use of cloud across the paradigms of security, reliability, scalability, cost, time to value, differentiation and its members commit to become intensely and consciously curious about AWS Cloud and aspire to set the technical bar of cloud expert. So that's the very formal definition that we came up with in the book, which really encompasses you know, what they're doing. And then we, we go into some, a lot of detail into um, some of the technical specifics that I think that team need to have to be true. And then you touched on you know, the leadership team and the cloud business office, which we've, we've put into their own chapters because there absolutely is a responsibility of the leaders to um, allow the groundwork to be created. And one of the core elements of the Cloud Center of Excellence is that this is a dedicated team, can be virtual, um, i.e. they don't always have to have the same reporting line, but they must be dedicated to that concept. And the business office obviously speaks to a lot of the typical PMO functions, project management office functions we've seen that are required when you're executing a large change in an organization. So we've rationalized them into three different chapters and, and we've given it you know, some space in between them, but they are also interdependent in my opinion. As a side effect of what would just happened, by the way, just to take us off course for a second, um, 
Jonathan uh, just demonstrated why he will become the audible voice for the book because he's got this <laughs> beautiful <laughs> British accent and we, uh, the book needs it, I think. <laughs> just need to get into a studio. Yes. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> so um, so one of the other things that customers kind of um, ask about a lot, and, and it's, a, I think, a great, great question and a great theme and you address in the book as well, is, you know, how, how do we do this at scale? You know, specifically, how do we become cloud fluent at scale? Because, you know, this is a new skill for a lot of people. Um, and it's certainly a new way of operating for, for most organizations. How, how do we scale that up? Yeah. You know, other than having, you know, the, the executive stakeholders aligned, everything else pretty much throughout the book can be solved by the humans involved in the transformation. Getting over and putting together some prescriptive steps for leaders to help and accelerate that reskilling is so, so important. I mean, if you take a step back and look at going to cloud, just from a human point of view, if you are a, you know, a, you know, a Linux engineer or a developer and you've racked and stacked cable, you've installed Linux, you've deployed, you know, maybe Chef to automate that, you've, you've now used containers, you know what you're doing. You're an expert in doing that. And now I'm going to cloud. And if you don't know cloud, you're going to be afraid of that thing. That is now the unknown. And it's so humanistic to be afraid of the the unknown. And how then do you allow to enable and allow that reskilling? And all of us like to learn in a different way. Like some of us, like if you put me in a training training room, in a classroom, I'm British. So I won't ask an embarrassing question in a training classroom, right? It just doesn't work. It doesn't compute for me. But you know, it's incredibly useful to go into classroom training before you're about to use something. But we also talk in the book about pair programming. We talk about, you know, some of the fantastic online content that's available and where to get it. We talk about the power of, you know, putting the team together and then splitting it with the process of cellular mitosis. So one of the chapters, you know, I guide people to in nearly every single engagement is, well, how do I do that? How do I reskill? Um, how do I get, you know, one of the elements we talk about is getting to this 10% figure of 10% of people certified. You know, why does that matter? Why does having 10% of your technology folks holding the associate architect exam matter? And, and I didn't know at the time, you know, but it turns out after somebody showed the research to me that psychologists have known for years, that when just 10% of a population have a passionate belief about something, the majority will always adopt. So just knowing things as a leadership team that this is my target and how am I going to give multiple ways for engineers, developers, product managers to get that that level up, to get to that 10% to really see it you know, fly forward at speed. So the other thing that I would add to that, Jonathan, is the, the whole leadership component uh, where leaders have to create a clear and communicate a clear vision of where they're trying to go and connected to the jobs of the people that are actually doing the work. And one of the things that I've, that I've shared with a lot of people over the years is, you know, we, we've done a great disservice to our developers when we deconstructed our services and systems into tiny little modules. And then we stuck that engineer into a, a, a cubicle somewhere and gave them responsibility for something that they don't understand how it fits into the big picture. And, you know, when you talk to these engineers and you ask them, why did you become an engineer? You know, maybe 30 years ago, they say, well, I loved math or I loved engineering or I loved electronics or I loved solving problems, right? They had passion. That's why they went to school. And then, you know, inadvertently, because of how we deconstruct these systems and and, um, assigned tasks and jobs to individuals, we've actually taken some of the passion out of their jobs. So as a leader and, and as a way to get people excited about cloud and about 
getting them into a, you know, a different mindset where they can learn again. It's about recreating that passion, saying, you know, you are empowered to solve problems. You are empowered to innovate on behalf of our customers. You know what's wrong. Go fix it. You're, you don't have to ask permission as long as you can you know, have a two-way door and you can back out of something if there's a mistake. That's the job, right? And so obviously we have all these ways of doing it, but as a leader, and the book is for leaders, you, know, you as a leader have to create that, recreate that vision and help people reconnect to their own passion, be developers and engineers again. Like the book, there's so much to cover. Listen in next week as I continue my conversation with Thomas and Jonathan about their favorite chapters of the book and why reading this would benefit our customers.